Corinthians chapter 1, um, 3 through 6. The topic for this message is comfort one another. Comfort one another. And at this point, many of you are thinking, I thought this was a men's conference. All right? What do you mean comfort one another? Um, this is going to go pretty well as a follow-up for um, what Brother Titus just um, just presented to us, just encouraged us with on the uh, confession, on the accountability. Sometimes I think we get a, a wrong idea of what comfort actually is. And then sometimes when we get the right idea of what comfort is, uh, we can be maybe turned off the whole thing because it's just plain awkward, isn't it? I mean, comforting someone is just an awkward deal. It's not easy. There's no formula for it. Um, I grew up with two brothers. Um, I had no category in my mind for, I don't want you to fix this. I just want to tell you about it. <laughs> okay, honestly, I still don't have much of a category in my mind for that if it can be fixed. Um, and, and often we think about comfort as just some sort of an awkward why. Um, there are times where things can be fixed and you know some people just want to be able to get the burden off of their chest and let you know about that. Um, many times, just the shared experience of that is something that's very edifying, uh, particularly with um, with women. Um, so I was introduced to that category by my wife. Um, and she just didn't understand how I didn't understand any of that. And I've just said, I've never had a conversation with, a, with another man where I said, I don't want you to say anything. I don't want you to fix anything. I just want you to listen. <laughs> well, the good news is that's not what we're talking about this morning. Um, so let's, uh, let's read 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, starting in verse 3. It says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation." So as Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he is blessing God here at the beginning of this second letter, and he calls him the, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And then he lays out this, really it's the two-way street that Titus talked about earlier. 
this the reality that God who comforts us in all of our trouble, one of the reasons that he does that is so that you might be able to comfort others in any trouble. It's really a it's really a beautiful reality. Kind of goes against the the grain of um, of the cultural push for everybody having something unique about them. Um, you can't relate to me because you're not fill in the blank. I remember, I don't know, ten years ago now. I was in a uh, I was working on a master's in counseling at Ole Miss, and the diversity agenda had really been ramping up. And I remember being in a class and uh, there was a, a a black lady who was the teacher's assistant and she was teaching us about this reality that unless you are a black lady, there's no way that you could understand the experience of a black lady. And so you can't really speak helpfully into the, into the life of a black lady unless you are one. How does that work? The more she talked, the more I thought it was new to me. I mean, now you've heard that sort of thing before. And I thought, man, I'm in trouble. Because I'm half white, half Arabic. And I don't know any other half white, half Arabic guys. (laughs) (laughs) And so if I'm in need, I don't know where I'm going to (laughs) go. Well, in God's economy, if you've received His comfort in your trouble, then you can comfort your brother in any trouble. Okay? Isn't that beautiful? And so let's think about this for a minute as far as comfort. Here's the question What is comfort? What is comfort? Three words that are used very synonymously as far as comfort goes. We think we'll look at them in a minute. Consolation, comfort, encouragement. The Greek word that's uh, translated comfort, it's the same root word that, that we get paraclete. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as the comforter. A lot of times when we think about comfort, we just think about somebody putting their arm around you and you know, giving you a shoulder to cry on and that sort of a thing. And that can be part of it, I suppose. But comfort is uh, is much, much more than that. So when we think about consolation, okay, that which comforts or refreshes the spirit. When we're called to comfort one another, really the part that I want to really focus is the last part here. We're called to refresh the spirits of our brothers. Okay, we're thinking about this for as, a, as men here. We're called to refresh the spirits of our brothers. Comfort means to impart strength. Okay, comfort. Those of you who understand something about music, the word forte. Okay, this is a compound word. The Latin word is cum forte, with strength. It's to impart strength. Or encouragement, to impart courage, 
to give or increase confidence of success, to embolden with strength of mind. And so whenever we're called to comfort one another, just like what Brother Titus was saying earlier, we are called to help our brothers stay in the fight. The interaction that we're having, we're having in hopes that we can strengthen the heart, the mind of a brother. That we can impart courage so that they can get up and move into the next day. Now we'll talk about some of the substance of that in just a second. But a few observations based on what does it mean to comfort, to impart strength, to impart courage. A few observations based on those definitions. Number one, comfort does not eliminate suffering. One of the reasons we're so clumsy with it is because we try to use it in the wrong way. You cannot eliminate somebody's suffering. You can't eliminate somebody's pain. But you can give them strength and courage to walk through the suffering. You can give them strength and courage to endure the pain. And you can point them in the right direction. You know, it would be nice, wouldn't it, if... um, if we had the ability to just remove people from difficult situations. But we don't. And in all reality, it wouldn't be nice. We'll talk about that in just a second. My wife and I were doing an interview with a, uh, a guy who was talking to us about uh, Spreading Sunshine, which was the, is the, the nonprofit that my wife um, heads that does a lot of hospital ministry. And one of the things that he asked was, how do you keep it up? How do you keep doing the kind of serving that you do. We serve families of children with um, disease and disability, and a lot of them die. And, um, and so we continue to serve after that. And so he just said, how do you keep doing that? Uh, and the answer was, these people are going to suffer regardless. We want to come alongside of them and love them, care for them, try to comfort them and encourage them and point them to Christ in the midst of their suffering. That's what we're talking about. If you've ever, and you have, most of you have, I would say all of you have, if you've ever been to a funeral, particularly a visitation, you're going through the line and you're trying to figure out, what am I going to say? You want to know what the truth is? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what you say. There's no magic thing to say. I love you. I'm praying for you. More than likely, they're not going to remember a word you said, but they're going to appreciate the fact that you showed up, that you cared about them. They're going to appreciate the fact that after the funeral, you checked in, that you continue to express interest. And so what I said earlier about just all these one another certainly applies to comfort. If you're going to comfort someone, you cannot do that if you are on a path of constantly pursuing convenience, people's need of comfort is not going to fall on your ideal timeline. And it's certainly not going to happen if you're a slave to your own personal comfort and ease. Because often, in order to comfort someone, you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. So comfort doesn't eliminate 
suffering means that the suffering that is present before we minister comfort is still present after we minister comfort. The circumstance typically hasn't changed. Uh, Again, we comfort people in their suffering, not from their suffering. And I, I belabor the point there because so often we get this all mixed up. Again, there's no perfect thing to say. There's no perfect Bible verse. Um, Scripture's helpful, and we're going to talk about that. But comfort is a... We'll get to this in just a second. Um, Comfort is something that we use to sustain, not to eliminate. And so here's the point I was trying to make earlier. It's important because if we're not careful, we're going to try to comfort people by eliminating what God is using for a sanctifying purpose in someone's life. You know, God will grow you often far more in your suffering than He will in any other season of your life. And while it is uncomfortable and we hate to see people hurt and we hate to see people suffer, God is bringing about a good purpose in that suffering. And so our job is not to try to bypass that. Our job is not to try to eliminate that. We can't anyway. Our job is to try to help in that. Okay, so comfort does not fix, it sustains, it strengthens, it fortifies. And so the goal of comfort, and this is helpful, the goal of comfort is endurance produced by hope. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 Endurance produced by hope. What are we after? What is the goal? You say, you know, I just want, I'd like for somebody to feel better. Um, here's a little secret. You cannot control how somebody feels. You, you just can't. I can't control how you feel. You can't control how I feel. Now you can, you can try to help, uh, reinforce what somebody knows, right? I love you. I care for you. I'm here. But what you want to do with someone who's suffering and sinning, comfort goes both ways, we'll talk about that, is that as you seek to, to minister this, this uh, courage and this strength, the courage and strength is that I can move forward in this situation. I can continue to walk through this with God because His promises do not fail. Because He's present. Because my brothers are going to be with me every step of the way. Because I'm not alone and I'm not going to throw my hands up and throw in the towel. It's endurance produced by hope. Biblical comfort encourages enduring, obedient, hope-filled walk with God in the midst of suffering and pain. Hebrews 10.36 says, uh, brothers, you are in need of patience or endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Often we have to wait before we receive what we're looking for as far as the hope of the promises that God gives us in Scripture. Right? And waiting is hard. But if we're going to wait, endurance is necessary. Now, we could go around the room right now and we could give testimony after testimony after testimony of people who had to endure long, drawn-out seasons of confusion and suffering and pain. 
And then at the most unexpected time, the Lord delivered them. The Lord blessed. The Lord resolved whatever it was. Well, we're not in control of God's timeline. And so again, our goal and comfort is to encourage people to stay in the fight. Keep moving forward. Keep pressing forward. So that's what comfort is. Secondly, what's our source? What's our source of comfort? Um, you've, uh, you've heard people talk about, you know, comfort food. I know what that is. You know, you're stressed and you turn to something. But what's our source of true comfort? Well, in our passage, 2 Corinthians 1, Blessed be God, this is verse 3, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The source of all comfort, real comfort, true comfort, comes from God. It comes from, got it here. It, it, it comes from Him. And so here's, here's the reality. All true comfort that we're trying to minister to other people, to our brothers in Christ, the kind of comfort that helps sustain, the kind of comfort that um, spurs on endurance, that imparts strength, that imparts courage, the source of that needs to be, must be, God. One of the things that we do is that we encourage, whenever we say stay in the find, we encourage our brothers to continue to walk and to draw close to the Lord. Okay, if you didn't know anything else, and we're going to go to some how-tos here in a minute, but if you didn't know anything else about comfort, if you could encourage somebody in their suffering to implement the four B's I just mentioned, be in Scripture, be in prayer, be in church, be in accountability, that would go a long way. Go a long way. So wait a minute, are you serious? You must not know much about suffering if that's the tactic. Well, some of you know more than I do, but I do know a little bit about it. I do know a little bit about it. My wife wouldn't mind me sharing this. She shares it and she knows that I share it. Two extended seasons in our life where she um, struggled with uh, debilitating anxiety and depression where we had to move back in with her parents so that they could take care of her while I was at work. One of those came after we buried a child after a, a miscarriage that was uh, very painful. Six weeks in the NICU with a little boy that we weren't sure was going to live for the first several weeks. That's not me trying to one-up anybody. You've got your stories, I've got mine. I'm just saying, in the midst of all that, I can tell you that Scripture, prayer, church, and accountability helped me stay in the fight. It's the kind of comfort that comes from God. And it's the kind of comfort that we're going to talk about in a second that doesn't just come from God, but we want to, uh, we want to get on board with what God is doing. We want to, we are, um, we want to be Christ-like in the sense that we follow His example as well. 
Okay, 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about Jesus Christ being our consolation. Again, we're talking about our source of comfort. Uh, number one here, our source of comfort is a person. And it's not me and it's not you. Hebrews chapter 2 says that it behooved him that he would be made like unto his brethren. That means it was necessary. God could have done it any way he wanted to do it, but this is how he chose to do it. And he did it this way so that Jesus Christ would have firsthand experience with the kind of suffering that you and I endure on a regular basis. Why? So that he is able to succor those who come to him for help. The word there just means he knows how. He knows how, based on firsthand experience, to give just the right help at just the right time. Our source of comfort is a person. One of the things, and and I say this a lot as we we're working through the Psalms here on Wednesday night, one of the things that is just silly that you should never say to anybody is, brother, you're just too blessed to be stressed. You know, we are just too blessed to be depressed. Well, tell David that. You must have never read the Psalms. Tell Jesus that. You must have never read the part about him in Gethsemane. Tell most of the biblical writers that. Too blessed to be stressed, huh? You know what they call that in the Greek? Stupid. It's what you say when you don't know what it, what to, you know. It's what you say when you don't know what to say. Okay, it's so silly, and it has a little bit of it has a twinge of spirituality to it. Like you know, I guess you're right. We've received all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, but right now we have received those in the midst of a fallen world where sin and suffering still affect our experience. And the answer to anybody's suffering as far as comfort goes is not some pithy little silly statement. It's that we have comfort in a Savior who's a person, who was made like unto his brethren, who has firsthand experience with the kinds of sufferings that we go through, and he's able to provide just the right help at just the right time, even for a guy who's half white, half Arabic. Right? Hebrews 4, sympathetic Savior, right? He's moved with the feelings of our infirmities. And we can go to Him boldly. What's the boldness all about? Well, the boldness is about His character. It's about the fact that He's merciful and He gives help and grace and mercy in our times of need. Our source of comfort is a message. It's a message. The gospel message comforts you, comforts you, my people, saith the Lord. Okay, we could, uh, I'm not going to turn here. By the way, if you want this PowerPoint, just for the notes wise, I'll I'll send it to you if you ask me. Um, The gospel is a source of our comfort. Jesus says, you can come to me and I will give you rest. Romans 5, we are now at peace with God. By faith, we enter into that peace. 
Okay, this is comfort. There's strength here. Why? Well, over the last 10 plus years, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people suffering. Um, as a pastor, as a counselor, some through spreading sunshine. You want to know what a common theme is? People's minds tend to gravitate to Christians when they're suffering. Especially if it's prolonged. Is God punishing me for something? Why is this so hard? Is God mad at me? You know what the gospel says? No. No, he's not. Now, you may, he may be disciplining you. He may be correcting you. But that's not out of anger. Correction is for the purpose of bringing forth the peaceable fruits of righteousness. It's a good thing. It doesn't feel good, but it is good. Hey, but God is never, not for His people, not for those who are hoping in Christ, He is never making your life hard as some form of retribution. You know what that really does? It minimizes the cross. Jesus didn't do enough, so let me add a little to it. Unthinkable. It's unthinkable. Our comfort, at least the source of comfort, is a message. It's the gospel. Our source of comfort is the paraclete. Okay, Jesus says in John that he's going to send another comforter or another helper, which is the Holy Spirit. And for the Christian, it's the Holy Spirit that even gives us access into these other comforts. The message of the gospel, the person and character of Jesus Christ. In John 14, 16, Jesus says that I'm going to send you another comforter and he will abide with you. He will teach and bring to remembrance all that I've taught you. He will testify of Christ and he will bring conviction of sin. Isn't it interesting that I'm not saying that this is a comprehensive, you have to only do these things, but isn't it interesting the way God thinks about comfort? Teaching, testifying, abiding, confronting. And so here's the question for us this afternoon. How do we grow in ministering comfort? And grow really is the, the key word. 2 Corinthians 3.18 we are changed from glory to glory, which means we are changed from one degree of glory to another. Okay, so we grow in incremental, uh, incremental steps. And so, how do we grow in ministering comfort? Well, number one, out of the text, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, by being willing to receive God's comfort from others. What Titus said is true. It's true of me and it's probably true of you. Now listen, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a, uh, I spend a good bit of time doing counseling. And so, uh, if you need help, as far as somebody willing, I'm your guy. I love it. I really do. Um, but you know what I don't necessarily love? 
being helped. It's hard. One of the things that um, the Lord did for me, one of the one of the ways I know that the Lord blessed me to grow whenever we were in um, in the NICU with my son David uh, was we were in a place where I was totally helpless. And the only thing I could do was receive help. Uh, I didn't know how to do anything as far as what he needed. We were surrounded by nurses and doctors and um, we had people from the church who were helping and and giving. And the only thing I could do was receive. And and the Lord helped me in that to see, Lewis, you are a pretty prideful individual. It from the standpoint that you will um, drop everything to help somebody. And you say, well, that sounds good. Well, maybe it is. I don't know if it is or not. But uh, the bad part of it was you you won't take a second to receive what somebody else has to give. And so one of the things that I've tried to make a disciplined practice of, not because I always feel like it, but because I know it needs to happen, is that number one, when somebody offers help, I try to take it. Um, Even if it's not the way I would want it. You know, that is the thing about people, isn't it? They just don't do things the way I do them. I don't know what's wrong with them. (laughs) But they just don't. They don't say things right. They don't do things right. Their timing's off. I'm not that way, but you guys are. (laughs) One of the problems we have is we are just picky. Too picky. The Lord says if you want to grow in being able to minister comfort, you've got to be willing to receive comfort. So that the comfort of God that you receive through the people of God, you're able then to turn around and to minister to that to someone else who's in need. So that's one of the things. Again, in God's economy, we learn to effectively minister comfort to others by humbly receiving comfort from others. Now, I want to look at four categories, and it's the categories we just looked at as far as the the Holy Spirit and the what we're going to call the paracletic ministry that's going to guide us in discerning how to minister comfort to both sinners and sufferers in various circumstances. So these are categories. You have to fit the specifics in uh, to these categories. But I wanted to make sure we included sinners and sufferers. Okay, Sinners need comfort too, right? And when I say sinners, I'm not talking about sinners in a general sense. I'm talking about people who are entangled in entrenched deep sin. God gives comfort for sinners, doesn't He? Christ is comfort for sinners, isn't He? And then sufferers as well. And again, exercising discernment is always a necessary part of ministering comfort. You know, there are some times where there's a, there, there's an appropriate thing to say to minister comfort. And then there are times where you just need to weep with those who weep. There's times where you just need to close your mouth and sit there and be with an individual. How do you know when to do what? It takes discernment. It's helpful if you know the person. So one of the one of the things about these one another's is they don't really they don't really exist in a bunch of separate categories. They really exist kind of like this. 
There's times where you need to confess. There's times where you need to comfort. All the time you need to love. There's burdens that you need to carry. And it's not little neat boxes. It's big, it's those spaghetti strings that just are a tangled mess. And so if I know Isaac, and I know Brady, I know that they are not the same in some areas. I'm not going to be a one-trick pony and try to do the same thing with one that I do with the other. Isaac may like to talk, Brady may not. Well, if I'm trying to minister comfort, is that relevant? Well, of course it is. So we got to minister, or we got to exercise discernment as we think about ministering comfort to others. It's necessary. All right, four categories of paracletic ministry. Number one, the comfort of presence. The comfort of presence. The Holy Spirit, part of the Comforter's work is He will abide with you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right? He has come to indwell God's people. Number two, the comfort of the Word. He will teach and bring to remembrance. Ministering the Scriptures. The comfort of Christ. He will testify of Christ. Number four, the comfort of dealing with personal sin. He will bring conviction of sin. Number one, the comfort of presence. Don't you love the passages in Scripture where God just reiterates, I'm with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Your presence, Lord, you're here. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, because why? I'm with you. Isaiah 43.2 When you pass through the waters, metaphorically for when you go through difficult trials that seem that they're going to consume you, He says, I will what? I'll be with you. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus in the Great Commission gives the church her marching orders and then He says, Lo, I am what? Yes. And so it's just the comfort of presence. There are times where we're called to do things and we're called to walk through things and that strength that is imparted, that courage to move forward is just based on this reality that He's with me. He's here. Well, brothers, you have the ability to minister the same kind of comfort. Maybe not in the same way, and that's obvious. But you know, your presence in the midst of your brother's struggle is huge as far as imparting strength and courage. You know, I remember whenever we um, we had uh, our son David and everything seemed to be normal. We knew we didn't know there was any problems. And then all of a sudden they um, they came to us and told us uh, there's some there's some real problems. We're going to have to move you guys. Turns out he has four holes in his heart and uh, it may get worse from here. So. Uh, we're going to go ahead and, and take you over. So I went in the ambulance with him and Abby stayed until she could get discharged. And I remember that was probably the most disorienting um, couple of hours of my life. I mean, 
it was one of those things where it was just, I was just a helpless little five-year-old. I had no idea what to do. I was scared. And uh, I remember going to the room and, um, and I don't really remember much of anything else except I looked up and here comes Isaac Guess. And I was okay. I couldn't tell you a word that he said. I don't know what he said. But my friend was there. And it was a help to me. It was a blessing to me. David went in for heart surgery. I don't remember who all said what. But Isaac and Brother Zach were there. I do remember that. We buried our little boy. I don't remember a whole lot that was said, but I remember the church was there. I remember that. Abby was having a very, very difficult time with the loss of the child, and I was having a very difficult time just trying to stay afloat. I don't remember much about all that. I do remember that Aaron Hunt loved me enough one day to take me upstairs and say, look, I know you're suffering. And I also know Satan would love to use this suffering to destroy you. And as a man, sexual temptation is going to be present. And so I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I remember that. You say, that's an awkward conversation. No, it wasn't awkward at all. It was encouraging. It was comfort there. My brother has my back. You know what the hardest part was? Just showing up. Just showing up. Taking and expressing an interest in people. That's Paul's example in 2 Corinthians. You know, the Corinthians were one of just a few churches that got two letters from Paul that we know about anyway. Why do you suppose that was? Paul took an interest. He's following up here. You know, it's a blessing when someone takes an interest in you. It's a comfort. It's a strength. It's a, it can impart some courage. Listening well. You've heard this and it's well noted, especially when you're thinking about trying to minister comfort. God gave you two ears and one mouth. Why do you think that's the case? Just being present. We talked about that. Um, you know, we've gone through uh, David's nine now, but in eight years he had eight surgeries, pretty major. Uh, some of those were really major things. Uh, that means eight, eight times of sitting in the waiting room with my wife, waiting on the news of however things turned out. Um, you don't know what the most helpful thing I've done over the years in those waiting room experiences Nothing. You say, what do you mean nothing? I mean nothing. You know what our routine is? I figured this out. We pray. I go get her a cup of coffee and get myself one. And we just sit quietly. Because she doesn't want to talk. And that's okay. Now she wants me to be there. That's for sure. But she wants my presence. Not my mouth. 
Cultivating and expressing a heart of sympathy and compassion. What Brother Titus says is exactly right. The way that we see people really will affect our our interactions with them. Someone is struggling and you think, good grief, you struggle with that? You struggle with that? I hate to see you when something big actually happens. Sympathy, compassion. The word compassion is co-passion. It just means that you are sharing in the passion, the feelings of another. It means that you're allowing someone's suffering to move you. And you say, man, that sounds like woman stuff. God is compassionate. Christ is compassionate. Surely you're not above that. There is no Christ-likeness without compassion. And then exercising self-awareness. Okay, Make sure you're focused on the person's comfort and not your own. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier. You may be a talker. They may not. If they're not, then you need to be all things to all people. And learn how to be quiet. They may be a talker and you may not. You need to learn how to be all things to all people and have a conversation. The, the, the point is, you're focused on how do I strengthen this individual, not what's the one thing I can do that works on everybody. All right, we're going to have to go kind of quick here. Comfort of the Word. Comfort of the Word. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 talks about the Word being quick, sharper than a two-edged sword. Okay, It can go and divide in, in, in places that you cannot go. The Holy Spirit can use the Word of God to minister comfort in ways that you cannot. One of the... One of the uh, things we were talking about. I was talking about this with uh, Abby not too long ago. Well, actually, it was in that interview. Somebody said, what was the uh, what's one of your favorite passages? And um, and we both had the same one. It was Psalm 23, six. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And um, and and they said, well, why? And and Abby said, well, I remember right before David was going to have his heart surgery, Lewis preached a series on Psalm 23, and, and it was that last verse that really I latched onto, and that was very helpful, that even in the midst of all this difficulty and in the midst of all the scariness of the situation, I could count on one thing. God's goodness and mercy is going to violently hunt me down until the day I die. Years later, she's still holding on to that. I can guarantee you it wasn't because the sermon was fantastic. It might have been okay, I don't know. But it's not because of the impact of the sermon. It's because the Word found a lodging place in her heart. The Word can do what you can't do. Okay, It can teach in ways that you can't. The Holy Spirit using the Word. It can bring conviction, bring someone to the place to where they're willing to admit that they're wrong. It can correct and train in righteousness. In other words, you sow and the Holy Spirit can do things with the Word that you wouldn't have dreamed of. Okay, it's one of the ways we minister comfort. Um, an apt Word in due season, there's discernment to be had with the Word. 
Okay? There's a difference in dispensing the word and ministering the word. There are things that come into play. You need to understand the person that you're talking to and the situation that they're in. If Romans 8.28 is your go-to, I would encourage you that there's a lot more Bible than Romans 8.28. It's a great passage, but when someone's mourning the immediate loss of a loved one, that's probably not the one you need to use. Okay? That's for the long term. You know this maybe, maybe you don't. You may think, well, what in the world's wrong with using Romans 8.28? You know that sometimes people can misunderstand that and feel guilty about the fact that they're sad. It's not a sin to be sad. You lose a spouse, you lose a child, you lose a loved one. Romans 8.28, sometimes we can try to dispense that in a way that really just says turn that frown upside down because God's doing great things. Don't be sad. 50-year marriage? <laughs> okay, we can't be a one-trick pony. you got to use discernment. All right, ways to minister. See if any particular passage is already being, has already ministered to an individual's heart. A lot of times we rack our brains trying to figure out what should, what, what should I try to minister to this individual when God has already gone ahead of you and used a particular passage. So for instance, if I know that, that, uh, Psalm 23, 6 is something that ministers to my wife's heart, I'll probably start there. Because the goal is not to see how creative I can be or to challenge myself to try to comfort somebody out of the minor prophets, okay? It's to, it's to comfort with the word. Try to discern what scriptural truth would be helpful in the immediate circumstance. It may be that they just need to be reminded of something. Or it may be over the long term that they need to be taught a scriptural reality that they currently do not know. Many times people have a very unbiblical view of suffering. Um, they don't view suffering within the context of sanctification and what God's doing. It's very helpful for people to be taught that. Probably don't want to teach them that the day that their loved one dies, but they need to, they need to learn that and you could help them with that. All right, the comfort of Christ. Okay, we could, we could, I mean, we could just fill this whole thing up with this. And what, what's the difference in the comfort of Christ and the comfort of the Word? Well, brothers, we need to encourage one another to go to the throne of grace again and again and again and again and again and again. You know, when we talk about Jesus Christ, He's not a concept, He's a person. And fellowship means we're interacting with that person. We're asking Him for help. We're receiving help from Him. We're believing in the realities of the Gospel. There's no condemnation. Right? There's no separation. We can go to Him. He ever lives to make intercession for us. We want to minister the comfort of Christ. We want to help our friend crop a biblical view of Christ back into their circumstance that seems so hopeless. You know, a lot of times whenever people just lose hope, it's because they're seeing everything except for the invisible hand of God in their life. Everything except for the redemptive realities of who Christ is and how He relates. So we've got to help try to crop Him back into the picture. That's where that biblical view of sanctification and suffering can help out. Help your friend go to Christ in prayer. 
Help your friends see how the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything for the believer. Okay, this is how we're ministering Christ. He's a person who is actively engaged in our lives, and we ought to be actively engaged in interacting with Him, seeking help and strength from Him. He's the source, not us. We're pointing people to Him. You say, well, what do you do if they just, they're just not getting it? What do you do? You keep sowing. You keep sowing. You keep sowing. You keep sowing. All right, and then last, the comfort of dealing with personal sin. Proverbs 28, 13, he that covers his sin will not prosper, but he who for, uh, uh, confesses and forsakes uh, will receive mercy. So for the person who is caught in sin, apart from confession and repentance, there's no gospel comfort for that person. There's just not. There are some times where people in, I think, well-meaning but very silly ways have tried to provide comfort for people who had been in, who are currently enslaved in sin uh, by somehow assuring them that, well, at least we know you're elect, you know, you know. You may go through some hard times now, but you know, the comfort of the resurrection. Now that person may very well be in a leg, and that person may very well enjoy the resurrection. But you know what? Those who are made alive through the Spirit in Christ are those who have committed themselves to a life of repentance and faith. We cannot offer comfort to someone who hardens their heart to the gospel who says, I will hold on to my sin and forsake Christ for it. Comfort is found not in, here's your get-out-of-jail-free card that came from the eternal counsels of you know the Godhead. Comfort is found in, you can be restored in your relationship with Jesus Christ through confession and repentance. You can walk in the, in the freeness of forgiveness here. So, you know, the, to repent... Um, uh, to repent of your sin really is to taste of the goodness of God. There's comfort there. The Lord can bless you to be free from that. And it's His goodness that helps. First uh, John 1 9, you know that. Okay? To deal with your sin is to restore your fellowship with Christ. And so, how do we minister comfort to those who are dealing with personal sin? Number one, by gently confronting. Or do guys say care front? Okay, we're confronting because we care about the person. It's gentle with Scripture that clearly articulates their sin as sin. Sometimes we have a tendency to try to downplay sin, to try to downplay these kinds of things. Or the other side of it is we just bite somebody's head off. Okay, gently confront. Secondly, help them see that their sin is primarily an offense against God. And you say, who doesn't know that? You'd be surprised. Okay. Now, if you had to do a Bible study, it would be fine. But you want to know who doesn't know that? You. You say, what are you talking about? Every time you sin, you're probably not thinking. Here's another one for you, God. You're probably not thinking that. And so help them see that. Help them see the grace of confession and repentance. And then help them see the freedom and joy of reconciliation and restoration. I love this quote. It is horrible to sin, but it is wonderful to be forgiven. 
Okay, so the comfort for those dealing with personal sin 